Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Welcome back to the No One Fights Alone podcast, where we honor the men and women of our nation's first responder communities by having difficult conversations about the challenges they face every day. We're, we're honored again to, to have uh, another one of our nation's first responders come on uh, to this podcast, talk about uh, their journey, what they've experienced in life. Uh, you know, in in my job, uh, I'm lucky enough to get to travel the country uh, and uh, in this specific area uh, in, you know, St. Paul, Minneapolis, um, it's been a it's been a joy to see the difference in, in where wellness has gone, at least at least while I've been doing this over the last five years. So I, I'm super grateful uh, to to have our guest on and uh, we'll, we'll have Brad introduce her right now. Austin, I'm super excited about the about our guest today. She's uh, she's been uh, such a pleasure to get to know, and such a treat. She just has an infectious uh, personality, positivity, such a great smile. And uh, I wish the folks could actually see her when she talks because she just beams sunshine when you actually talk to her. But uh, uh, we're going to talk to Jane Thompson, Janie. Uh, she's uh, she's married to Chad for 34 years. She's got five kiddos she's been a firefighter paramedic for 22 and a half years and welcome Janie to the no one fights alone podcast how are you thank you I'm super excited to be here I I kind of want to start uh because it's important to me and I is shamed eyes when stories are told in safe places and there's been a lot of people willing to tell stories that's and that's comp I'm not sure if I pronounce that right but that's why I'm here it's really why I'm here. You all have told me stories and shared your story and makes me stronger to, sh to share mine. And it's not an easy task sometimes. No, we completely understand that, uh, that these stories are very near and dear to us. And these were oftentimes they were dark, uh, dark chapters of our life. Uh, but you know, when we tell our stories, uh, there's just no, um, this is a great opportunity to help somebody out there who may be listening, who says, you know what, that's my story or I, that story resonates with me. So, you know, it's as difficult as it is. The purpose behind this is to help that next person that may be suffering and need, uh, needs Janie to tell. Exactly. And it's good for me too good for me to give back well with that being said let's just dive into it let's uh where would you like to start Janie you want to you want to just uh take okay. off and and well, we'll, uh, we'll kind of ask as we go sure born and raised in Minnesota uh I have um five kiddos uh most of them are adults my youngest is gonna be 18 in a week um, I have three dogs, a wonderful husband who is my absolutely best friend, and uh, I absolutely love my job. I'm a firefighter, paramedic, driver. I just promoted to driver um, a few years ago, so that's a whole different adventure on the fire department. I still do all the same things that I did before. It's just I get to drive the rigs as well. Awesome. And if I start at the beginning... You, okay. Yeah, sure. You start where you want and uh, we'll just fill in. You get, you got such a great story. Uh, just take off. Lead okay. us down the path. Okay. So 
short and sweet. My, um, my parents are both alcoholics. Um, I was the youngest. I have a brother who's four years older than I that um, just had a problem with addiction since he was like 12. And uh, lots of physical abuse in my house, um, lots of mental abuse, lots of neglect. Just to point out a couple things, my uh, parents fought all the time, and I can remember the first time I ever tried to get my dad off my mom. I lost four teeth. I had, they say it takes a village. I had a bunch of really great neighbors, and I did get a lot of love from them. And different types of things, uh, you know, I had a pretty bad accident on a bike, and somebody else's mom got me all patched up and cleaned up. Let's see. So I'll I'll ask a, just a quick question. So I mean, growing up in, I mean, did you did you think that or know that you were being raised differently than other kids in the neighborhood? I don't think right away I did know. Uh, one of the things that came up when I lost my teeth was my dad told me to tell people that I fell off my bike, and then I actually did have a pretty nasty bike fall that I didn't lose any of my teeth in. But no, I think it took me a little while uh, to figure it out. Um, you know, you just are the kid that is always the last one out. I never wanted to go home, so I'd be out playing until it was long past dark. And if somebody else's mom was like, when the lights go on, go in the house, I'd be like, okay, I guess I'll sneak home. But by the time I was eight, I was crawling in my bedroom door. We had a pretty small house, and I didn't want to go through any of the chaos, so I kind of snuck around it so to speak sometimes i was home you know and nobody would know i had gotten home <laughs> it was just sort of survival yeah i mean that's that's a rough situation i mean did did that cause you and your sibling to become closer in in kind of banding together or did it separate you guys uh yeah you know he was like i said addicted to um he was older than me so i think he took a brunt of some of the physical abuse until he was gone and he left pretty early um and that's really when it turned more on me and my mom but he, like he's not even really in my life anymore because he just can't he can't stay straight can't stay sober in any kind of way and i actually did that before i was even drinking i kind of just decided he he was taking away from my own happiness at the time uh, so no i wouldn't say it got us closer i think uh i was really a loner i was trying to survive all by myself mostly gotcha and that i i'm so sorry you had to go through that that's I, a childhood is one of the it, it shapes us right and so i mean growing up in a situation like that is that what led you into wanting to help other people or how how did you find yourself in the fire service yeah that's a great question i had a one of my awesome neighbors um her father was a volunteer in north st paul that's where i grew up and he would we'd be out playing in the yard and he would get a beep it was he's part of volunteer fire department and he'd go off and be in a fire or do a first responder or whatever. And I always thought it was really amazing. But at that time, I never thought, well, girls don't do that. You don't really get a chance to do that. And then my um, one of my very good uh, male friends in high school knew he wanted to be a firefighter and was on the volunteer department while we were in high school. And, you know, went to get his firefighter one, firefighter two when he was quite young. 
and got on a full-time department probably at 22 or 23, which is amazing. And so by then I was kind of like, that is a cool career. I could really, I could really do that. It just so happened we bought a house 10 years later and um, the woman who we bought the house from was on a list for St. Paul Fire. And I was working from home, helping my husband. I had three little babies and I got a postcard that said, you uh, asked to know when our application process was, so it is, it's open. So serendipitously, I had a chance to apply and I called my husband at the time. I really didn't need the job because we were doing well. I was watching my kids working from home for my husband. And uh, as it turned out, it was the greatest thing ever. I just started digging in and working out, trying to get to be able to pass the physical test, which is quite grueling and doing it with three kids and uh, working full time at the time. And I had to go to EMT school. You have to have your EMT before you can apply. And uh, I got on one of like 1200 people that passed the written and um, got a chance to do the physical. So it was, it was pretty amazing. That is so great. So from so from there, uh, is entering into the the fire service and yep. going down this path. Did you have any uh, idea that your your past was going to influence or impact uh, the new career change that you were going into? You know, I don't know if this is typical of people that had. I mean, I was starting my own family, and I always felt like. I survived it, you know, I survived the crap and I never really wanted to go back. I didn't think it was important. I kind of want to just shut my back to it, but obviously that didn't work. <laughs> so we've closed the door. We've closed the door on all this garbage yeah. and junk and, and, Thoughts. and yep. right. Right. And we're moving on. That's, that's where we think we are. Yeah, exactly. And my mom was older. My father passed away when I was like 25 my mom's older she had no relationship with my brother so you know just talk about forgiveness not like drag the past with me but once honestly to bump a little bit once I got to Chateau I really realized I needed to unpack some of that stuff and some of the stuff that happened when I was in high school and some of the stuff that happened when I was in college to make myself whole again I mean I just had never really felt the feels. I mean, I was feeling them at the time, obviously. I'm running around with no teeth and going to school with paint on my face or whatever. You know, stupid stuff. Like my parents wouldn't go to parent teacher night. So I'd get a big packet the next day with yeah. all the stuff that they were supposed to pick up at parent teacher night. But yeah, I think Chateau taught me that you really to get the most out of my my new sober self, I needed to look at some of the garbage and the darkness from my past. So, so let's just for the listener's sake, and as we're sitting here talking, uh, let's let's not ignore that for a minute. Let's what what were some additional things that were so impactful to your life before that? You know, that theoretical closing the door on that. What were some of those things that were really you were dragging around with you and didn't even realize it? What were we some had, of those? Had a traumatic accident with a, a very good friend who passed away in my arms. I had. I called it a sexual assault, which I can bring up later, but I was raped um, when I was in college and beaten. And then I had trying to truck away on my life. I had a roommate commit suicide 
um, all within a matter of a year. And I just kind of lost myself. Those have to be devastating singularly by themselves. And you yeah. had them, you just had them right back to back to back. Pretty much. Yep. Yep. And then I just left college and um, was just working full time at a gym, actually, and kind of met my husband and started some new adventures, learned how to swim. I wanted to do a triathlon and just I did kind of feel like my eyes were wide open. I really felt like I wanted to live every minute because I never felt like um, I could take it for granted because I did have some pretty big things happen to me. Sure. Absolutely. So, so these are the things that you actually closed the door on. So let's go, let, let's, let's circle back to uh, Chateau because I feel like you really, I really, I feel like you really wanted to tell the listeners something about Chateau. And I think we can introduce some of these things, you know, back into the conversation uh, as you would navigate through the Chateau. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, I got to Chateau. I I didn't, I hadn't started drinking at all um, until I went to paramedic school, which was, I had 12 years on and I just had so much stress. It was uh, a financial um, strain at the time for my husband, um, my, and myself. And we just, I was working different hours. I was trying to learn how to be a student at, you know, 40 some years old, not to mention it's a rigorous program to, to be trying to be successful in and had a, you know, house full of kids. And that's when I really started to drink just to not, it wasn't just a Christmas or a birthday. It was, I was drinking because I needed to numb. Right. And I had already been on some antidepressants. So I felt like I had my depression under control. Uh, but I think a combination of the stress of school and the fact that alcohol doesn't make your depression better at all. Um, I, that's when I can remember drinking to just numb things out. I didn't do it on the regular yet, but slowly, but surely it would progress to where I tried to quit multiple times and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it as much as I knew I had a problem and never thought I ever would do to my daughter, what my parent did to me. I, I found myself doing it. I was embarrassed and sad and, full of shame and guilt and I would just drink it all. I just keep drinking because it would make me feel better, you know, supposedly make me feel better. And short term. short term, it helps you feel better short term. And, you know, I just, I was off the job. This is partially, I think what really made me hit the rock bottom. If there is such a thing, I was not doing the job that I, f so I got a promotion, super excited about driving. I had been, taken the driver's test a couple times before finally get promoted and I got hurt like my second segment of driving and then it, so that changes like your whole world I have wonderful people out at training and I'm super grateful I got to be out there so when you're hurt you're not on duty anymore I'm not doing the job that I am like meant to do I'm working for the fire department but I'm going to work every day I'm doing paperwork or I'm doing whatever errand they need me to do or whatever. It's just not that consistent. I'm helping people every day. You don't feel like you're part of the team anymore, do you? Kind of. Yeah. And I'm not, like I said, I work for wonderful people, but it's just different. And I really felt like it made me available to drink every day. I could drink every day. 
and definitely lost myself. And I tried multiple times to not drink, but I was never in recovery. I was always just abstaining. And I, and I think that's a key point. Like I could go four months without drinking, always thinking about when was I going to do it? When, how was I going to do it? And the final time I had gone without drinking at the reason how I got to Chateau is I was like hiding it in my closet and not able to control it. Like not just to drink one drink and then say, okay, well, I'm good for tonight. I would keep going back to the closet, keep drinking. And, um, I tried like a little outpatient uh, program that was more for people who had DUIs that were trying to get their hours in. And I didn't feel like I got anything out of that. And so I said to my husband, if I, if I couldn't do it this last time, I would go away. It was the hardest effing thing I've ever done in my life. Absolutely. But I, now what, now what was, what was going on at home with your, what kind of feedback were you getting? Were they kind of leaving you to your own devices? Were they, were they communicating with you their, their unhappiness with your drinking or were, were you hiding it? Okay. I mean, was your husband unsettled by it? He is someone who I think he would agree with me. (laughs) Frustrated with me for sure. And when he's frustrated, he just shuts down. So. I knew he was pissed. Uh, Me and my daughter's just in my face. You know, she would just flat out tell me, you know, super disappointed. My youngest son, River, was the same way. Um, My two older kids, one's in Atlanta and one's, you know, works this little tush off in in Minneapolis. They just weren't around enough to see, like, some of the major mistakes I made, um, which is fine. I think they knew I had a problem, but I don't think it was like in their face, but River and, and Zoe definitely were pretty verbal about me trying to stop drinking. And they really were the instigators for me attempting to stop drinking. And my husband, my husband, maybe he was a little bit more, uh, I don't know the word for it, but I, I, assertive maybe he was a little more yeah and angry i i'm not i think he was a little angry which is totally acceptable like uh sure and then i think i said this to you yesterday brad that i feel like when i chose to not stay in the twin cities to get treatment because i felt like that was what i really needed to do and i had said like my fourth time i would either be sober or i would go get some help and when I made that choice, I think he was a little angry and I felt that I couldn't, I couldn't really f- manage it because I was super fucking scared. Excuse my language. Um, sure. Trying to manage where I was going to go at the time. Um, another uh, alumni is a very good friend of mine. He probably wouldn't mind me using his name, Kyle. He left to go to Chateau. But when he left and said goodbye to me, he literally said, you should come with me, you know? And I was like, no, I got, he's got like four kids and I've got three dogs. (laughs) I can't leave my dogs. Um, But a month and a half later, I knew he was kind of on his way home. And at some point he had texted me and said, you're going to love this place. You would love this place. This place is all about you. And it stuck in my head. It was one of my trying to be sober times. And um, when I finally decided to do it, I thought he had gone somewhere else. So 
I'm talking, I'm weighing this young man who I know knows me really well and says I'd be a great fit, thinking he went somewhere else to everything that Chateau is about, like I was drawn to. Your website, the way uh, I was talked to, the way um, the options, the things that are available. It was just even, like I said, the website, it like called me. And the other one was so like obviously firefighter, he-man, you know, bullshit. And I just thought, if Kyle thinks this is a good place for me, then I guess that's where I'm supposed to go. Well, I took a serious pivot on Easter because I sent a text to that same young man and said, listen, I'm thank you um, because I feel like I can do it. And he calls me and says, no, I went to Utah. And if you have to wait a month, I will sit with you for a month and we'll get you to Utah because that's where you need to go. And I did. I pivoted fast. And I'm so grateful I did. I, I wasn't in the doors of Chateau for more than an hour. And I knew I was in the right place. I was still scared shitless, but I knew I was in the right place. Um, you know, in your face, Jackie was in my face. And uh, Pam staged my room for me and gave me a big hug. I have totems for all of my kids. And I had set them out. And I was shaking and crying and scared and Pam gave me the biggest hug that I will feel forever my whole entire life I will feel um that hug that I needed so badly but tools you know we talked about tools and that's what Chateau gave me they gave me tools and I'm not saying I I wasn't scared I I was really scared but I knew I was in the right place and I wanted to get everything out of it I don't think everybody goes there feeling like they need to try everything and do everything. But if I was going to be away from my family and doing this, I was going to do it a hundred percent, absolutely a hundred percent. So let's, let's spend a little bit of time there. Uh, just at, at, at Chateau walk us through maybe the first week because that I know that first week's tough. I mean, you're talking about, uh, there's a lot of fear with it. Anybody that says they walk in the doors of Chateau with no fear, uh, they're lying. But there's a lot, and it comes in different forms and shapes and waves. Um, you know, there's a transition point that usually happens mm-hmm. with people to where they they latch on and say, "Okay, I'm going to do this. I feel safe. I feel I, I feel empowered to that I can change my life here." The, walk us up to that transition point for you, and then maybe then maybe start talking a little bit about that transition. Well. I was on board pretty, pretty fast. I think I was desperate to find something uh, myself, I guess. But same thing, like my connection that had just been there um, had text a couple of the folks that were first responders and one that wasn't. And so when I got there, I never have even attempted to have a male therapist. And one of the things that Jackie says to me while I'm I'm in my uh, interview with her is um, Stacy's going to be your therapist. And she's talking about Stacy. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I got a female. And she's like, oh, <laughs> Stacy's a man. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to give it up to the universe. And uh, Stacy was absolutely the perfect guy for me. Perfect therapist. Loved to be outside. Most of my therapy was outside. Um, I, so that was in like the first hour, this 
small group of um, people. I'm, I'm, I don't know how to get water yet, you know, and they were going to the gym. So there wasn't very many people around. Um, they all made an effort just to say, Hey, Daryl, especially spent a lot of time with me. Cool. Rad. Um, he's a very soft smoke spoken, um, but we come from the same firefighter background and have a lot of the same challenges with being in a job that some people take for granted the fact that you know good patient care so i latched on to him right away and he was gone pretty fast so i was a little nervous when he left because he was sort of my easy go-to person so we've embraced this uh we've embraced this and you know stacy's well known for his therapy walks uh, the, oh yeah, he, he's he's well known at Chateau for uh, more therapy outside than inside. Uh, but he's he has some really uh, unique uh, exercises as well. Did you get to participate in any of those? Um, you know, uh, night rusty armor. The the any of those things that uh, made an impact on you as well? Well, unfortunately, I did not get to do um, the night in rusty armor, and I it's on my radar. I I got out to Chateau in December, early December, and I was going to try and work a rusty armor in on that trip, and it just didn't work out. Y'all had a storm, and I I don't think you even did rusty armor. Sure, um, that is on my radar. I'm going to make a trip and and do the night in rusty armor. Um, my favorite thing about Stacy the man was that he I think all therapists probably have to be really good listeners but um we would chit chat and I would ask him questions about stuff that wasn't necessarily about my therapy it would be about him and one of my well two of my favorite things but one of my favorite things was that I asked him how long have you been sober and he was just going to hit his 40 he's going to be 40 years sober in like July I think and I said, wow. And he's like, well, I said, well, what made you decide to, to be sober? Um, he goes, well, I was sober when I had my daughter for about two years, but my wife hated me because I was such a crabby asshole. <laughs> so he hadn't started his recovery journey yet. And so right away I was, it was on my flag because I know there's people that don't drink but they're not necessarily in any kind of recovery. I think that that's sure. a really bad way to do it. Um, and maybe they feel like it's a win, but I knew for sure that that wasn't what I wanted. I didn't want to just not drink. I wanted to have a whole, a whole me back. And then the other thing was I, I had not used the word rape explaining my assault. I would always use sexual assault. And it took me a long time to even tell him I was like a week. Lou actually went on a walk and talk with me to go over my timeline. And I said, uh, Stacy had COVID. I said, I haven't even told Stacy this, but I think I want to add it to my timeline. And Lou's like, you should definitely add it to your timeline. Make sure you let Stacy know. And I always called it a sexual assault. And he's like, you have to use the word because that's what it was. And that in itself, me using the word was a big deal because I had, I don't know how to, it just made it real. I was looking at the real picture. I wasn't kind of downsizing it. Um, so it made it available for me to like give it up sort of and then 
start to repair, right? I guess that was huge. Sure, of course, absolutely. When we when we give it a name for what it is, it becomes real uh, to us, right? What 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 was going on with you th- at that moment when you started recognizing I'm going to have to make this real? I'm going to have to actually say the word, uh, and it's and it's gonna it's gonna taste horrible when it comes out of my mouth. Yeah, it it. I just had so much growth while I was there. I kind of felt, and I sounded probably like a broken record, especially towards my last two weeks. I just felt like I could take on the world. And Pam's words are healthy fear. And I still use that to this day. Like I feel super strong. I never doing brain spotting with Tangi. I told this to you before that I was feeling such love and light and grace and I started to cry happy tears and I was about to say I've never felt I haven't felt this good since I was a kid was what I was about to say and I stopped myself and I said Tangie I've never felt this good about myself ever ever in my life and I was about two weeks out a week and a half out I mean I'm 55 years old at the time and I've never felt that good about myself about my life about what I have to offer um and that you just can't you can't put even my words don't sound you know worthy of the feeling it's just um and it's everything for me it was everything it was um you know to put a little context to that if I can actually chime in here to put a little context to that in our previous conversation before before this recording you and I were having a kind of a catch up session and uh, you made you said something to me within uh, you know very very uh, revealing about you would constantly and consistently tell your husband if you want to leave me, it's okay. I, I, and right. And, and yep. isn't, isn't this a, a 180 degree person now that you're talking about from, you know, I, you know, like I'm not trying to. Right. You're right. It's absolutely true. And honestly, of all humans, I'm lucky I picked a good one because he, he didn't take advantage of that in any, any way, shape or form, but it was like, baby steps. I had to make sure that I was in a safe zone. You know, I was pretty protective of myself. And my other mantra at Chateau when I left was to try everything. I just felt like people come in and they're like, I'm not really a yoga person or no, I'm not really a meditation person or what is brain spotting? Um, I was a rock star with the neurofeedback. I did that twice a day for probably most of my stay there, I felt like it was a great time to just, I don't know. And I felt like the, I felt like in two weeks I could tell that something was better. could have been because I wasn't drinking anymore too, but. Well, I think it's a combination of all of those things, right? Like sure. I, I think, you know, like neurofeedback is proven to be more successful coupled with individual and group therapy and vice versa. And then individual and group therapy is proven to be more successful with the, the meditation practices. And yoga is increasing your blood flow, which is then increasing your oxygen, which is then helping you eat better, which is then going back to like, it's all this, this entire, you know, circle that you have to go through. And so like what at Chateau or what after more specifically were, were the things that you were able to take with you? Like is meditation your big thing now is yoga, you know, what's, what's kind of that? I kind of, this I kind of considered 
and I still do my sobriety sort of my baby, right? It needs to be taken care of all the time. And when I left Chateau, I wanted to bring it all with me, knowing that it was going to be fucking hard. I had all the supplements. I took pictures of all the supplements that y'all had me on. I had them all ordered on Amazon. By the time I got home, I had the exact same regiment. I had, I went to Target, got a whiteboard before we got home. Um, I had been journaling uh, our whole trip back. I wanted to drive back because I felt like I needed that time to kind of take, to kind of decompress and get ready to be back in, in my world, you know, the world that I used to drink in. And I just wanted to hold on to all of it. So I, I do meditate every day. I even try to meditate at work very rarely. If I'm just trying to do a quick five minutes, do I get interrupted? But it's intentional. I either do it before I'm on shift or I do it right when I start so that the chances of me, you know, being able to get it in is good. I do yoga four times a week. I uh, do um, recovery dharma. I try and do it once a week. Sometimes my schedule doesn't work out. I really, really work hard to journal because it's never really been my thing. And then once I got there, it was so good for me to like read even from day one, all of my fear to like day five to day 25, just my growth in just in so many areas. And even my letters, all my kids saved all my letters and they can see kind of the progress. Do you think your your thought, like you're talking about the journaling, do you think your thought process on things are just different now? Like the just the way you process maybe emotions or how you outlook your day? Absolutely. Yeah. I Especially like, you know, you send your intent, set your in. So most everybody who's listening to this, if you don't know, we start our day with kind of our goals for the day and how are you feeling? And I, I kind of have like an emotional uh, intent for the day. I'm going to. I had a lot of negative self-talk and it really did bring me down. And so if I have that creeping up, I'll write, write five things down. It doesn't have to be all at once. Five things that you're really good at today. And I never would have done that before. And it's hard to explain to somebody, uh, my 18 year old, about to be 18 year old. I said, you just start journaling. It doesn't, it doesn't have to make sense. It can just be silly stuff but you'll be amazed at what you can get back from it. Right. You know, studies have proven that uh, um, the journaling is extremely effective. And I, uh, I've talked to people about this and I'm, I'm really glad you brought it up, Janie, because, because you just explained something very valuable right there uh, with journaling that it doesn't have to make sense. Uh, the people I've talked to about, you know, my journaling, when they inquire or ask me about it, they say, well, you know, teach me how I said, well, you know, there's, there's really no, there's really no set thing. It's, it's gotta be your personal, uh, whatever, whatever it is. And you, the more you, it's like anything else, the more you do it, the more you get better at it. And the more you realize, uh, the importance of it, the impact it has on your life. So, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up because some people out there that may be, uh, thinking about journaling, um, such a powerful, uh, connect right there. It doesn't have to make sense. Just no. put it down. No, that's so true. No, I mean you've given you've given us a ton of stuff of what I mean, what you do. Uh, I guess so. You talked about that healthy fear. Were, were there any struggles when you came home with work or with family or anything like that? I got so same 
lucky or not lucky, I was not back on the street yet. So I have, I still do, but I, it's a much more healthy bus, but I have bus of traumatic incidences that I used to take with me to work and just cry or stress or whatever before I went into to work, usually about my bus very stressful. And I've worked it so that I now I don't have any problems going to work. And I still have a bus. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I still have a bus of people that, you know, are going to be with me probably forever. But it's a little bit of a, um, a 180, so to speak that it's I take them with me because I think they make me better. They don't make me scared. I'm not afraid to go to work. I'm not anxious about walking through the doors. Um, but I was still on light duty. So, um, I didn't really have to test myself on the job, so to speak until October. And that was a big tell when I, um, walked into a fire station going to work a 24 hour shift, who knew what we were going to see. I literally had, um, a full arrest of, uh, alcoholic, um, 52 years old on my very first day my very first day back. Um, and it's not that it didn't hit me. It just, I, I was like, it's that if you, whatever you believe in, you believe in a higher power of whatever you believe in. I believe that was like in my face, this could have been you. Um, and I, I dealt with it. Well, I, I did, I journaled on it. I talked to people about it, which I never really felt like I, um, had a voice to do. I felt like I was always bothering somebody. Um, as much as my husband would say that he's always available to listen, I don't know that he's always the person I want to listen. Like, I don't want to, um, what do they call like secondary trauma? I don't, I don't want to traumatize him. Uh, Vic vicarious trauma. Yes. Uh, which is, is a real thing, right? It is a real thing. Yes. It's a real thing. So I was tried there. I, I um, long story short, while we were in, while I was in Chateau, I was gone. I think my husband was wishing I would have stayed here somewhere close. And so a lot of my time at Chateau, I didn't have great conversations with my husband. I didn't get letters from my husband. Um, I had to really put that in a box and say, I'm here right now to take care of myself to get healthy and I can deal with that once I'm gone. And I had to have a really healthy, strong conversation. I, I think I mentioned, we still probably need to work on that a little bit, but, um, cause it hurt my feelings and I'm trying to, and I said that, you know, I got those words out, but, um, I think he was just out of sorts because he's, we've been together for so long. I think it surprised him that I would choose to go away, even though it's exactly what I needed to do. Sure. So that was a little scary. So, so to, to walk us through, I think there's an important point here that the listeners would love to hear. When you left Chateau, uh, you told me what was something that was really impactful that you did upon your leaving in connection with your husband. What, how did you get home? Yeah, we drove home. I wanted to drive home and he had said he couldn't get off work and I was just beside myself. And I said, well, I'm still driving home. <laughs> I was going to drive no matter what, but he, he found a way he, he ended up flying out and we flew home, flew, he flew out. We drove home together and we took 
five days we did Moab, we took our time and probably 10 or 15 times he said, I understand now. I understand why you wanted to drive home. It was just a nice protected way to kind of reacclimate to, to the L-I-F-E, you know, back to the real world, not the bubble anymore. And, and with each other, is that fair to say? hundred percent. Just, just give space time for, you know, a little, little safety to re-engage with each other before tackling the big, bad world out there. Exactly. Yep. It was, it was right. It was the right thing to do. It was good. Sound like you got, sound like you have a great husband. I do have a great husband. I do. That is, that is so great. I don't want to glaze over, uh, and we jumped into Chateau pretty quick, but I don't want to glaze over because you have such, such a, man, there's a lot, right? But I, I, we, we missed a little bit in describing your career, uh, because what you told me yesterday, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about, uh, the, the such, a an amazing career, but you described that as the busiest station in the city. How, how much, how many times do you think you were run across things that were, that were heavy or impactful a couple times a, a month, a week, uh, a day? Yeah, we, you know, without, yeah, you just, um, yeah, I don't, it's, it's hard to like quantify how many times it would happen in a segment or, or whatever, but there is, you know, that bus has got, you know, kids the same age as my kids, that parents killed, uh, lots of suicides, you know, moms of young kids, same age as my kids who couldn't make it, didn't make it, you know, um, and for the listeners, uh, Janie, just to be clear, because I love the metaphor you're using, um, and not that it's that it's fun or inviting, it's just a great metaphor. This bus you're referring to yeah. is the is the uh, dead people that you've had to to help or assist with, or maybe sometimes didn't get to assist with, and you've placed them metaphorically into this bus of yours. Is that fair? That's fair. That's exactly yeah. what. So your bus is full. Your bus is full of people. My bus might be a double decker. Uh, <laughs> it used to be a double decker. It's, uh, you know, I think that when I was, I would say emotionally unhealthy, I would say that I need those people because they make me better at my job. Now I can honestly say that I've evaluated all of my patients, uh, my situations. And I know that I did do the best I could on all of those calls. And I take something and I can legitimately say, honestly say that they make me better at my job. There is absolutely a lot of times when you can't do anything. And that's probably the hardest when you, there's just nothing you can really do. And you're a fixer. You're the person that, you know, puts the band-aids on and um, starts the heart back up. And there's just sometimes you can't. And so that, you know, that takes it takes a toll by anybody's standards. It takes a toll. And I just think uh, first responders, um, vets, I think we just all have like a common thread. You can even hear it in our, in our first responder groups. We all are kind of doers. We want to make it right. And sometimes, we- you know, one thing that, uh, w- that we did talk about yesterday a little bit uh, was the, 
the the gender aspect of how difficult this culture is, uh, you know, and, and as of I, I love the fact that we're having a, you know, a female firefighter paramedic on here, just an absolute uh, amazing hero. Uh, but it's 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 hard, right? It's hard. That culture is is pretty difficult for uh, for for a variety of reasons. Um, but but it's it's prone to and and. Absolutely. I'm so grateful to have you on here. But if you're speaking, you know, if you want to speak, if you had a message uh, for, you know, those women out there uh, that, that, hey, this job is going to get heavy or maybe it is heavy or maybe you're even in a similar place to uh, to where Janie was at. What, what message would that be, Janie? If you don't mind, I do really want to try and do like a coffee type of group thing with uh, first responders around here in the Twin Cities, uh, specifically leaning into the female aspect of it. But it it's like sometimes yesterday was heavy and you got to just put that shit down. I mean, that's a Rana-ism right there. And there's always somebody to listen. I didn't go into great detail, but I did try to commit suicide twice. One time it was really close to No More Janie and I hurts my heart to think that I was in that place, but I know people can get there. And you just, to to do the job that we do and vets do and cops do is, is hard and it can take a toll, but hopefully you have um, the kind of, when you're looking in the mirror, you can see that you're not quite right. You're not quite square and you can reach out. Cause uh, it's, it's heavy. Things are heavy. Sometimes you just gotta let it down. And Chateau gave that to me. They gave me a chance to say, this is all of my shit. And they not, not one person said, Holy shit. Are you a piece of shit? All of it. And they, they still love me. You know, that, that shame and that guilt, that shilt is um, not really a big piece of who I am. It's a small piece. But that's but that's the reaction you thought that people were going to give you. Of course. Like that's, but is I mean, that's I think that's a natural human characteristic right there is like you you're carrying around that shame and guilt. And, you know, as Brene Brown says, you know, guilt is an appropriate feeling, right? Like it's it's something that's OK. And shame is something that kills us inside yep. and out. Exactly. Right? And, and so, you know that's the big thing that I want people to, to catch on to is exactly what you're saying is like, you know, it takes a ton to, to reach out for that first time and talk about something that you've seen on the job or something you experienced during your childhood or, or whatever it may be. But I think that 99% of people are going to be surprised by the reaction that they get, which is agreed. I have a Brenny Brown quote too. Only when we are brave enough which is a, such a great word to explore the darkness. Will we discover the infinite power of our light? I just love that. That is on. I have a bunch of these quotes all over my locker, which is I get laughed at quite a bit um, because you know they, it just makes locker at work. So I'm my locker's wide open with all of my quotes and all my pictures, and my horses from Chateau are on there, and my lucky fuckers and. All the dogs are in my locker at work. I just, it's important to remember some of these things that really give you a spark. I'm remembering that it's to tell, be able to tell people in safe places. I was nervous as hell to do this, but I feel like if I could help just one person, then it's all worth it. And it is part of my journey, you know, to, to be able to 
tell my story. And I don't, I, I just, if I, I had, if I would win the lottery, I would make five more chateaus. <laughs> I think it's, oh. you guys are doing amazing things. I'm with you there, Janie. And I, I, I uh, one of the things that I think really uh, resonated with me when we were speaking was that you had found your voice again, and you clearly have found your voice because your message is absolutely uh, powerful and amazing and needs to be told and needs to be heard. And uh, I think if uh, I feel like if people are listening and they're, you know, this, they hear this story, they hear your, your journey of hurt and pain and fear and, and then subsequently growth and healing. And now joy with that beautiful smile just absolutely uh, is such a great testament to uh, what hard work and bravely turning inwardly to your fear uh, does to a human. So I think you found your voice. Oh, you're sweet. It's very thoughtful. I just, I, everybody, I, I, everything, the ART, the EMDR, um, even Rebecca, you know, just she's the, she's how I got my tattoo. I wanted to get a tattoo. I've got Chateau and um, family and, and the Lotus because I kind of took on the um, Dharma recovery strongly. And it's I don't I want to have this if she didn't refer me to the gal who gave it to me. Rana, you know, uh, yesterday is heavy. Put that shit down. Robin. All the dogs are very high on my list of therapists. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about you getting to baby, babysit uh, Pepper. Yes, I did get to. And it was like, I felt so honored. <laughs> I think Ben had like a graduation or something. He had a bunch of people that were going to be at his house. And he's like, she gets a little nervous. You want to keep her? I'm like, yes. So. Pepper being uh, one of the uh, one of the dogs at uh, at Chateau, uh, a little uh, black cocker spaniel that is just super sweet, and everybody fights over uh, wanting to wanting to snuggle up, and get her get her uh, with them for a while. Um, Janie, thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. Uh, what you. an what an honor to actually have you. And we know this is this is not an easy uh, easy bit, but what an opportunity opportunity to maybe help somebody uh, through hearing your message. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you guys are rock stars. This is just, um, it's so important. And I just uh, appreciate the fact that you're, you're doing it. You're making, making the words, words happen for people. And um, I'm just so grateful that I got to be a part of it. I really am. I want to leave you with one thing. And and, uh, these stories seem to be a little continuous somehow, but uh, Easter. So I don't know if you remember, but that uh, to tell me you did, you called me (laughs) that phone call on Easter. And this goes back to finding your voice. Like this is like why I, I do this. Like I love my job. Right. Like, and, and you get to, you get to see people in that initial conversation and the fear in your voice, not, I mean, just revolving around life and, and what it was going to be. And um, to, to, to kick back to what Brad said is you have found your voice and it is a completely, it just sounds different. Like this is literal finding your voice and it warms my heart to get to see like those two separate interactions years later and see how happy you are and all the hard work you've done and, 
I, I can't thank you enough. Cause like this kind of conversation and like these interactions are what keeps me going. That's awesome. That's awesome. I certainly appreciate it. And I, it was absolutely perfect timing for me to be here. And I just, I'm very grateful, 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 grateful. Janie, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you being here. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day. Thanks to you guys. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. No One Fights Alone is sponsored by Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-2224-19-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever have.